1: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Hello, Australia. Welcome to My and Your Money. I'm Glenn James, and today you're joined by John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Hey, peeps, how are we? very well.
3: Very good. Very
2: good indeed. Nice. Now, we are recording this episode on Wednesday, the 16th of December, and it is going live on Thursday, the 17th of December. Now, I just like to date stamp when we record these episodes and when they're released, just in case there's an announcement tonight that something happened in the market or something like that. So, we're all aware that you know, it wasn't recorded the minute you press listen, people. So, this episode is also brought to you by Oxygen, because you are the air that I breathe. Um, so, <laughs> no, this episode, it is brought to you by My Millennial Property. John and Emily host a banging podcast called My Millennial Property. So, I just thought I'd interview both of them on their predictions for what might happen next year. So, John, if I throw to you first, do you have any motherhood statements on what we saw this year in the property market coming through COVID, blah, blah, blah. And I'll probably go to you the same, Emily. See so if you want to have a bit of a think as well, just maybe some reflections.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, interesting year 2020, isn't it? Like with uh, COVID come about early and I think a lot of people, it threw a lot of fear into a lot of people's lives. And, and I suppose we track the property markets around the country for a living. So, I didn't see that there was going to be too much of a, um, I suppose, a downfall in the, in the markets. And I think we interviewed a few economists early, and were talking about how big the government stimulus was going to be, and that was going to be a big player. Um, thankfully, the government came through pretty well in that respect, and, and that held the housing market um, together pretty well. One thing that we always think is uh, housing market or housing prices will always be protected by the, by the government, they don't want to see that fall through the bottom because it affects so many Australians. So that was probably my underlying thought around the housing market, even though it was a pandemic that we had no control over. So we probably didn't see the amount of growth that was going to occur. I uh, I've always thought that property prices were not going to go backwards, um, at least in good locations and, and good dwelling types. But to see it um, progress as far as it has in in a lot of markets around the country has definitely exceeded my expectations. Is that that
2: because, and Emily, you're on the ground in Melbourne, so you might be able to answer this as well. Is this because like, you know, number one, we know most of the people who really lost out were hospitality workers and we know most hospitality workers are under 25 who may have not got their career started yet, Mm. coupled so, that really doesn't impact property markets because they're really not buying property and selling property generally. And coupled with, well, we can't bloody travel. So, that 25 grand that we're going to spend in Europe, uh, we will just start our property uh, portfolio early. So, was that relevant to what, like, why we didn't see markets tank?
3: I definitely think so. I don't know if John agrees, but I think- when you look at the demographic of of buyers that have held this market up, it isn't the under 25s. It's it's very much the mum and dad family home buyers and then also obviously the investor market as well who were effectively unaffected by COVID or they actually had additional funds because they didn't go on that overseas holiday, as you mentioned, Glenn, uh, and can put it towards a deposit. Maybe weddings were deferred, um, big life events that people save for got pushed into a different priority. And so I think definitely the reason that it has held up so well is is a lot to do with that, but also a lot to do with the circumstances around people wanting more space, wanting more room in their home and most people in inner-city living, particularly in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, are in compact spaces. And so moving out further, that drove the market very heavily.
0: Yeah, I think the stimulus in general is what held it all together. Yeah, um, but it's, it's so funny, John. Like I was thinking like this whole property
2: thing and there's there are people that will think this and they've got a right to think it. Like the whole property market, particularly new properties in the building construction, since the turn of the century in the 2000s, when we started giving first home buyers and grants and state government uh, stamp duty for over like 20 years now, Basically, the government have had their mitts in this stimulus thing. Like, Mm. does that mean it's the new norm and the government's always got to prop up uh, the building and construction industry? Like, I just worry from a human level that for 20 years, there's always been stand-duty grants. There's always been some type of build your home and get 10 grand type grant. And then there was an extra injection with covid I don't know if, like, I'm not an economist, but I just think it's very interesting and wonder if it is a bit of a false economy.
0: Yeah, I think, generally speaking, when you look at Australia as a, uh, a country around the world, it, it's definitely one of the most livable locations in the world. Mm. Um, we've, we've got the best conditions to live in, the the chances for every Australian to or anyone who comes into the country to work and, and have a good life is there. But you're you're right. The housing prices have um, have continued to get on the rise um, for the last well hundred years basically. I, I can't see that changing. But I suppose the, the the key is there's because of the interest in living in Australia. Um once covid finishes the the migration rate will continue to ramp back up again and and we fundamentally have a shortage of uh, of properties or dwellings to live in around the country. Yeah. So that's what helps with um price growth.
2: Yeah, and I want to get back to that, but Emily, any reflections on this year as an autopsy?
3: Uh well, we all know it's you know been very turbulent in the market. Uh, It's interesting looking at at, from a numbers point of view and the data of um, looking at the national median house price and where that fell. Because obviously, as we always say, and, and everyone should know, there are markets within the market. But I think the sort of overarching picture of this is we actually only had five months of decline in the whole of the year. And we've just come out of the, the second month of increase in that that value. So my reflection is that the property market dipped at its absolute lowest point when when the numbers were the highest with the virus. And I think it just shows how resilient it can be as soon as there's hope and there's uh, positivity and and we're coming out of it, so too did the market. And now, from, from my account where I stand down here in Melbourne, it's on fire and a lack of stock is is driving up prices in almost every single pocket of Melbourne.
2: And that is the fundamental prop problem. You know, on balance, Australia has low stock and land. Well, we're not making any more of it other no. than some, some some subdivisions. But yeah, uh, yeah okay. So, yeah. and just finally, a question for both of you. I know uh, apartment living... Uh, and I think Sydney's had a bit of a slump with apartments and the vacancy rates have been quite high. I don't know what it's been like in other capital cities, but has that been a bit of an immigration short-term issue? And do we see any issues, particularly with all this China stuff happening? We don't know what the political landscape will be with China Mm. uh, next year. So, if the borders open back up, uh, there could be some other things that stop Chinese immigrants there could be some other things that stop Chinese students because we know that the Chinese will buy an apartment in a city no problem because they've lived in apartments in big cities so I'm not an analyst I'm just a nobody but that's just from my anecdotal vibe yeah any comments on that yeah Emily
0: do you want to have a have a quick yarn on that
3: yeah definitely look I think first and foremost you know internationals as a whole, not just China, um, obviously make up a large student population in the education realms, particularly um, those uh, student accommodation, but also the apartments surrounding the universities. Personally, that's where I've seen the biggest um, supply of stock, but the the lack of demand, you know, people don't want to live in those buildings who already reside in the city. Um, I think I don't know how well that pocket of the market will bounce back, Um, But then also immigration in general into the major capital cities, you often find that families will go to those sort of house and land packages because their money goes a lot further, they can buy a family home. So, it's a bit twofold there. Um, By my accounts, the apartment market in the sort of, we call it the inner middle ring in in Melbourne, where it's a bit more suburban and a bit more community-based is actually under supply, which surprises me, I must say. Very much surprises me. Um, in, the, in the selling market, if I was personally a landlord and uh, I, I couldn't get a tenant for the property, you know, for a while and possibly selling was on the cards, I'd be making the move at the moment. It's a hot market. Mm. Um, we're not seeing that in in the volume we thought we would, I'll be honest. So maybe there's more to come in 2021 of those apartments.
2: And I think it's just interesting. You said it the other day, I think, on one of the episodes of My Millennial Property. And yes, I do have a listen to the odd episode just to check (laughs) up on both of you. Number one fan. The stuff we hear in the media, they might be just getting a data report that's a couple of weeks or a month or two old or a quarter old Mm. where you guys are on the ground. Yeah. Like, Mm. and this is just why we have to, when we see on the news headlines that, this and this and that and that, it's just literally – it doesn't mean anything because if you're not buying an in-city apartment, mm. well, who cares? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so further to what Emily's mentioned there, I think the migration internationally is, has ceased um, naturally because of what's happened. Uh, but there's also been – a lot of expats come back into the country which has also insulated the amount going going out um, so that or, or, or new uh, I suppose investors buying into the, the country. so with university students going home quickly that's affected apartments and will continue to hurt for the next uh, few years but those coming in are actually going, to the larger regionals and, um, and the capital cities and buying houses. They're not buying apartments. So that's helped with the housing markets um, being, um, I, I suppose, undersupplied in, um, in most areas around the country. I think generally speaking, there's also a lot of um, intra-migration. So there's interstate migration but actually migration within the states is there's a lot of that occurring now. So, for example, someone moving out of Sydney and, and going to Port Macquarie or Dubbo or Orange, there's a heap of that happening at the moment. And um, and Melbourne's a big one for that. There, They're moving out of there because, Emily, you mentioned it with the lack of space. So they're going still staying in the state but heading off to um, to larger regionals to live.
2: And I think, you know, if this work from home thing continues and a lot of businesses have found out that, hey, we can work from home, well, well, why wouldn't I get my good city dollars and go live in a regional centre and have a banging quality of life?
0: Correct, yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah. it's uh, on the central coast here right now on the ground, there is hardly any houses for sale. We're looking for a couple of clients to buy property here and both of them are... um, Ex-Sydney people move to the coast, know they can work um, locally. They don't have to go into Sydney now, but they're on the same dollars.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. Mm. And I will say, for those who are new to My Millennial Property, Emily is based in Melbourne. She records this podcast remotely and it does sound like she's in the same room. So, if you are a podcaster Mm. and you're listening at the good quality audio, there's no reason why you have to have crap audio That's what annoys me with some other podcasts anyway. Bit of a rant
3: there. (laughs) 100%. I've got all the gear though with no idea. You guys just tell me what to do, right?
2: Totally. (laughs) I don't. Let's have a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about your 2021 property predictions. Okay, who wants to go first?
3: I, I honestly don't mind, whatever makes sense, really. All right,
2: well, Emily, your are um, <laughs> Okay. Particularly Melbourne and your view of Australia, any kind of headline predictions uh, that we won't hold you liable for uh, for <laughs> 2021? Any hot spots, any not spots, any types of stock that you think it will be uh, like a bloody. Body in a morgue or a hot pancake. I'm using some bad analogies. Uh, mm, but
3: interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. what
2: are you vibing?
3: What am I vibing? I think the sea change, trees change will still remain across the nation in 2021. Uh, so, I do think those areas, um, as we spoke just before the break, that are a bit more remote. However, the issue with those areas, and this is why we'll see it to be continue to be strong, is the average hold time. So, the average time someone actually resides in that property and owns that property is drastically more than the inner cities in a general sense. Like I know some pockets where the average hold time is 22 years You're literally waiting for someone to, as sad as it is, move into aged care, go through a divorce, something to happen so you can actually get into the area. So with that segment of the market, I think it will hold really, really strong. The first half of 2021 is going to be very interesting. There's a number of incentive cutoffs to do with stamp duties and grants and things like that, that do expire on the 30th of June. So, I think we'll see a massive rush in the first instance of everyone trying to get hold of that and it to be valid. And then beyond that, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, The sub-million dollar market, I think, will probably hit a peak and then maybe just level out uh, in terms of a dollar value. Uh, And then I think, generally speaking, we're seeing more investors coming back in. So, first home buyers are competing with investors at a similar price point most of the time um, Mm. in that sort of, you know, five, six hundred K market. And it will drive competition, but investors usually the first ones to tap out. They're they're not overpaying, they're not emotional. So as always, first-time buyers will keep this market going, I believe, uh, and are really not forecasting a crash. I'm forecasting that we're going to see a hard and fast incline between now and June 30 for the reasons I mentioned before. And then I think we stabilise in the second half of the year, um, which will also depend on finance announcements. Obviously, with rates being so low, can they get any lower? I'm not sure. And how that plays out and how much more money people have access to. But uh, yeah, that's my my general sense. Strong market.
2: Yeah, I, I totally, like, we've recently announced the results of the My Millennial Money Census. And if you're listening to this podcast go live... Uh, on Tuesday of next week, we announced those results. uh, And there are a lot of listeners that have good income, have good savings and people thinking, oh, what downturn? Oh, what recession? Oh, what COVID? Because I think almost 75 to 80% of our listeners still kept their income during COVID. So if you're still cashed up, still on your good income, still maybe working from home, you've got more money. Yes. Yeah. So it's you're absolutely right. We can still plow, but I've I've got one other question, Emily. You mentioned that kind of sub mill. You know, when mm. we talk about share markets and investing, we kind of talk about these psychological thresholds. And yeah. you know, for the the uh, all Lords it might be you know, really didn't get down past the five five during the the the, the, the correction. You know, it would be just interesting to see. You know, if that psychological threshold of a million dollars does get pierced and does that become the new floor?
3: I think it will it will pierce – well, I'm speaking a bit more specifically about Melbourne at the moment sure. because the concessions, right, that are on the stamps guarantee the number of properties that sell exactly on a million will all of a sudden incline between now and, and then – after that point in time, though, it's much of a muchness. So, I think that would be fair to say that maybe there's a new mental barrier. I mean, a million dollars actually isn't a lot of money to buy a property these days in certain certain areas. It doesn't actually buy very much. Mm. Um, and I know that's probably hard to stomach for some people, but it is it is the truth. And so, what becomes the new norm? Is it 1.5? Is it, is a really good budget? Is it two? It's inflation. It's, you know- million dollars used to be a lot of money at one point in time. The weird thing is
2: wages haven't done anything for a million years. Mm. Like that's Mm -hmm, the real mm -hmm. problem in Australia. But anyway. So, John.
0: Yes, interesting. So, I do a property market update every month and I coincidentally did one yesterday. Great. Um, And some of the things I spoke about yesterday, um, I'll relay. So, the the first thing that um, is maybe a concern to look at is – uh, we've we've got all these lovely grants. So it was up to 45K worth of grants for, for first home buyers if you build um, regional grants, et cetera. A lot of that would be, and talking to them on the ground, they are living in it for six to 12 months and then moving out and it becoming an investment, right? So mm. when you think about that, what does that naturally mean? Well, it means there's going to be more properties up for rent, and there needs to be supply of renters to go and um, consume that supply, right? So could we see a little bit of a glut coming on to increase vacancy rates in certain areas if you didn't do your due diligence as to where you were building in the first place? That remains to be seen. But I think that will occur definitely in some, some areas, especially outlying areas that haven't got the, uh, the infrastructure or desire for people to move there.
2: So, you're, so I guess what you're saying, John, is in coming into next year, coupled with Emily saying this possible cliff in June, and we know that the home builder thing has been extended and it's now mm. $15,000. So, there yeah. is a taper there. I think in this environment, while there won't be, uh, well, we're not predicting a property crash and all that stuff, we're saying you still need to be hyper vigilant and aware of what's going on in your unique area and on the unique piece of stock that you're after.
0: Yeah, totally. Like I've worked with a lot of clients this year that have taken advantage of the 45K Mm. and they will clean up. There's no doubt about that because we're strategic with where we're buying and everything else. But what I'm saying is if we're trying to pick up our 45K now, A, there's not a lot of useful land available that's titled. and, And B, if you're doing it next year, um, yeah you 've just got to be careful of the maybe the volatility of vacancy rates because because to be honest it 's hard to find a, an area around the country right now in the housing market that has a vacancy rate over two percent yeah like, wow, and that just shows you the supply and demand issue that australia 's got and will continue to have but I think if we 're talking specific markets and and again we put out a a top five each year yeah. we 've done that last two years and I hope sometimes we're right, sometimes we've, um, we're off the mark, but I think Southeast Queensland will continue to, to do well just purely because there's so many people moving there. Mm. Uh, again, good dwelling types in good locations. And Perth has really recovered as well. So, um, days on market are extremely low over there at the minute. And I think that will still continue. You can still go and buy something in Perth for half a million dollars, 5K from the city. Yeah. Um, which is a bit crazy because it's a capital city, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've very much got your Melbourne and Sydney where your, your million dollars is is almost the cheapest thing you've got, you'll get, Emily, isn't it? Um, whereas these other yeah, cities, you're talking five, six hundred, you can um, have, have a pick at a lot of options.
2: And I think it's still, you know, as a first-time investor, I know I can stomach 500 grand, not mm. a million dollars. Like, so I think yeah. it's that, I don't know, emotional level of, oh, yeah, it's, it's a big deal, but it's doable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, Emily, you touched on it before about interest rates. Like, the good male has interest rates staying at this level for the next three years. Hmm. Not my prediction. That's people that are smarter than me coming up with that sort of stuff. But when you look at those numbers, a 700K mortgage interest only is cheaper than renting at $500 a week. Yeah. So, where can you rent for $500 a week? Not far. So, okay. So,
2: what we're saying is if you're an investor next year, you know, given vacancy rates are so savage, really, really, really do your homework. Like, because the horse is bolted, there's probably, there could be a bit of a premium now in the market, um, particularly for new builds and builders going, oh, we'll just throw it up 30 grand. Mm. Like... But for a first home buyer, my type of view is if you're going to be living there long-term, the right time to buy is when you have the money, you find the place that you love and it's right for you because you know, you've got to live somewhere and you're going to own it for a while. Yeah. You're not going to try and you know, overpay. But I think for me personally, the home for long-term, not as... Because it's more of a lifestyle play. I don't know yeah. what you would say for first home buyers.
0: Yeah, um, because we want to buy I, a
2: home to live in and, and do up and paint that wall. Yeah. Probably more than we want to make, buy a home to live in and make a quick hundred and fifty grand on.
0: Yeah, my recommendation for the first home buyer is they need to pivot in twenty twenty one if they want to get a result. Right. So an example of that, and and the likes of Emily are in hot demand next year because off market properties in a hot market is is. The best option, yeah right, we secured something two weeks ago for three hundred seventy if it went to market, it would have reached four ten easily, right, so having the ability to secure that means that you're not paying too much for it in a hot market, um, but just one thing in respect to the Sydney Melbourne, if we're thinking, well, I want to live in I want to buy my first home for uh, nine hundred or a million dollars, and i haven't got that, um, so I'm going to wait and save. Mm that is fraught with danger in the current conditions. So my option, that's why I say pivot.
3: You'll never save as fast as this market's moving, right? Like it's just not possible.
0: Yeah, well, it's not so much the deposit either, is it, Emily? It's it's actually the loan that you're then taking on uh, when the the price movement does occur. So you've Mm -hmm. got to pivot left or right and say, well, can I go and uh, rent vest or what I call free vest is stay at home and invest somewhere else.
2: Yeah, very interesting so Emily, we've got a lot of listeners in Melbourne. Uh, what are some names of pockets that could be some go-to's in 2021? And while you're just thinking of that, I was thinking before John and Emily, with this off-market stuff happening, like you said, you you bought for 370, you would go for well over 400. In this market, reach out to John. Reach out to Emily. Because a buyer's advocate or a buyer's agent will pay for themselves categorically. Yes. Just leaving that right there. (laughs) So, Emily, some suburb names around Melbourne, Some suburb
3: names. So, in terms of value for money, and obviously, I deal with a lot of first home buyers, but in terms of things that you could really make your mark on and... And have the practicalities of a community, public transport and a lifestyle. First go up at the rank would be Carum, not Carom Downs, just Carum, which is down um, on the coastline towards Frankston. Frankston itself, and now Frankston for Melbourne people listening will know that it it unfortunately has had a bad name. It's been it's been um, what's the phrase? Painted with the something brush. I don't know. Anyway. The
0: Bogan brush. I don't know. It's been yeah. tarred with the wrong brush. <laughs>
3: That's right. Frankston South. And then on the other side of the city, looking more north of Melbourne CBD, places like your Preston's Reservoir, Thornbury, they are, in my opinion, especially Coburg, actually, I think in one of my recent vlogs, I tipped Coburg, so undervalued for what you can get um, if you're at a slightly higher price point. Um, I would definitely recommend those. Um, They're probably my main areas that I would say – We'll yeah, have a bit of growth in them and keep your eye on them.
0: I was having a look the other day, actually, a reservoir. You you can buy a decent dwelling in there for seven eight hundred still, can't you?
3: Yep, hundred percent. And I th- it makes so much sense. Like you look at proximity to CBD, you look at the community infrastructure; it's already all there. Mm. So you're buying into something that's established, which you know that's always my preference: buy where that it already exists.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, John. Do you have any suburbs? You mentioned um, southeast Queensland. Any other – and Perth, any other kind of pearlers up your sleeve asking for me more than anyone? Yeah,
0: well, <laughs> well, I've been banging on for the last 18 months, two years about um, Ballarat and Bendigo and Geelong and those places. So, horse started to bolt, do you think? Uh, yeah, the the horse is, is gaining momentum. Um, there's definitely been some growth there, uh, especially Geelong. and and uh, Yeah, but look, again, the vacancy rates, they're 0.5% in Bendigo at the moment. So <laughs> – uh, again, that's still that supply and demand issue that um, will continue to perform for the next couple of years, I think, while the mm. while the money's cheap. So, mm. yeah, and and you're still getting 4.5% gross yields in those places. So, that's also attractive mm. for the investor that wants to throw 400, 500k at something.
2: Yeah, and I'm thinking, because most people know that I've got that off the plan happening, I might sell that on settlement and then maybe just do something with a freehold somewhere else in Australia, but we'll talk later.
0: We'll chat off later. (laughs) Because I'm like, (laughs) I've
2: made some money on the off the plan. So, now do I just divert that cash to another part of the market and and rinse and repeat? But anyway.
3: Booking a discovery call with John. I I
2: I will be doing a discovery call with John. (laughs) I won't charge you, mate. You're a (laughs) champion. But if you do want a discovery call with John and you want to bounce some ideas off him, uh, just with your property goals and... Just to get out of your own mind, uh, go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help. You can click the discovery call. He only charges clarity. 300 oh, clarity <laughs> call, whatever it is, $330. It will be well spent. I have not read one bad review uh, because John is a third party sounding board who has got no emotional attachment. He doesn't think you shouldn't buy a house. He doesn't think you should. Um, not like your in laws or your outlaws. It, it really is a third party that you're paying for just to. Bounce some ideas off. Do you know the difference between an in-law and an outlaw? Oh, tell me, John. Outlaw's wanted. Oh, dear God. (laughs) Dear God. You like that, Emily?
3: (laughs) I like it. (laughs) That was
2: a good one. So, we might leave it there. Any final closing comments, Emily Wallace?
3: Final closing comment would be, please get your finances sorted before you go house shopping. We're not in a market yes. where you can wait for your dollars to come in after you've decided which one you want. If you haven't got a pre-approval in hand and your goal is to buy a property in 2021, go and sort it out. Please do us all the favour. Get your money sorted.
2: Yeah, I'm sick of seeing in the Facebook group people who are yeah. like, oh, does anyone know who, if I can get a, a broker done within like yes. three weeks because I've yeah. just – it's like no. you waste money. The banks are still have backlog due to covid yeah. all their call centers in asia got shut down uh-huh. like it's a debacle out there so just get a pre approval before you go shopping it's pretty simple because mm-hmm. you will be disappointed and it might cost you thousands of dollars so that's, that's some great. great advice emily yeah yep. good advice final words john
0: look don't don't sit on your hands in 2021 it's um yeah it's it's game on from a uh, property point of view, with with holding costs being as low as they'll maybe ever be. I don't know, but uh, but yeah, chatting to a client this morning, they're getting an eight percent yield, um, paying principal and interest uh, on a, on a property, and it's just a, it's a great time to, to hold wow. property, and and whilst um, if they don't get property growth, which they will get, but it's uh, looking after themselves for the next 20 years. Yeah, so wow. it's, um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a good time to get in. You just got to be strategic as to where you go and, and uh, what what sort of money you're playing with.
2: Love that. My advice is jump over right now to My Millennial Property. Hit subscribe. If you're already a listener on Apple and you haven't given John and Emily a review, we would so appreciate some nice words, a five-star review if you do get value out of that. And, of course, everything we talk about is worth what you paid for it. So, Emily, Merry Christmas. John, Merry Christmas. Thank you, everyone, for listening to My Millennial Property this year. And these guys will be back next year with a heap of weekly good gold content. Send your questions into the show, mymillennialmoney.com. There's a place there you can click uh, Submit a Question. uh, And these guys would love to talk about it in the new year. We'll see you later, Emily. See you, John. Thank you, Glenn. Merry Christmas.
3: Merry Christmas.